morning, and welcome back to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. It's Tuesday morning, October 1st. My name's Ben Dietrich. Good to be with you here on this Tuesday morning. We got to talk more about the impeachment chaos going on in Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, this chapter continues from last week. Um, And I think we're at a point now where a lot of Americans just don't know what to make of it. What is true? What is not? It's it's really hard to tell um, because obviously the the media seems to have its own objectives. Um, Whether you watch CNN or MSNBC is going to tell you a very different story than if you watch Fox or One American News. And this leaves the American public with, uh, in situations like this, where I think so many of us really just don't know what to believe. So we're going to do our best today to, to shed some truth in all the things happening. Um, and later on in this episode, we might even take a chance to, to listen to some of our discussion we had with Ronna McDaniel on Friday as well. But uh, before we get to that, that'll be, that'll be later on in the show. So once again, you're listening to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale. Uh, where Hillsdale meets the nation. You can follow us on Spotify. I wanted to make that announcement, by the way, that you can now follow us on Spotify, American View, WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale. Check us out there. Um, or check me out on Twitter as well, Ben underscore D-I-E-T-D, and on Facebook, American View, WRFH. So I know we talked to Kevin McCarthy last Sunday, and we got to place him in that interview last Tuesday. I want you to hear his reaction um, to all that, you know, I think we started our show on Thursday with Nancy Pelosi's reaction to why she was impeaching. I want you to hear Kevin McCarthy's. This is from last week, I believe, on, on Wednesday or Thursday. So I think at the end of the day, the speaker owes an apology to this nation. And I think it's even questioned why she should stay in her job. We are done with this. How much do you think this impeachment incident is going to re-energize the Trump base in this next election? You know, and I'm not worried about energizing the Trump base. I'm worried about what it's doing to the fabric of America. I'm worried about what is it showing to the rest of the world. Just as we went through the Mueller report and the rest of the world had to watch as long as we, and it came back, we found out that Adam Schiff lied to us and that the president did nothing wrong. But at the end of the day, I think what the rest of the country want to know, why did it start? Why would any president in the future have to go through this? I'd want to know the answer to the origin of that, and I'd want to make sure it never happens to anybody. What I'm concerned now is the Speaker of the House changed the course of that office for the history of this country. That a body that brings legislation, a body that represents the rule of law, would change the course of what it actually means. To claim that a president had violated the law with no information, based on a whistleblower she does not know that wasn't even on a phone call. To claim that the president did a quick pro quo. All right. And mentioned Biden's name eight. So the transcript has come out now. And um, the accusations that Representative McCarthy makes in that video, um, if he's true, if he's right, uh, then w- what does that mean about the state of this country? If, if in fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi's decision to impeach President Trump is entirely politically motivated based on very little evidence, um, what does that do to America's standing in the world? 
Those are those are all important questions. But to be honest, you know, it, it is not that that simple. Last week we got to read through the call, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I encourage you to do so. We break down for you what was in the call. We talk about the fact that there was really no quid pro quo, which means there was no direct attachment between the the money and the aid of the United States to what um, Vice or excuse me, President Trump said in the phone call. What gets really interesting, though, about this whole story is is a couple things. Um, first, we we mentioned last week that you know Senate Democrats, according to Mark Thiessen from Washington Post, Senate Democrats wrote a letter to to the Ukraine government asking for their assistance in investigating the president of the Mueller investigation. They then threatened money. They threatened aid to Ukraine if they did not comply. Nobody seems to have a problem with that. But when it comes down to the president, it's a different story. So what I'm getting at here is, well, let's do two things here to, you know, with the facts that we do have. Let's assume that the Democrats are correct in their accusations of the president. Let's assume that the president um, politically may have been politically motivated uh, and, you know, in his call with Ukraine and that, you know, maybe there even was a quid pro quo, um, you know, putting that all aside for a second. And I'm not saying that that I would not condone that behavior because I most certainly would. But even when you put it at what that is, um, the sad thing, what I what I just don't seem to understand is it seems like the actions there are not unique to what we've seen from political candidates on both sides for the last several years. How can you criticize President Trump for using the political power of his office, um, especially in the way that this phone call happened, which seems that it's so incredibly unclear? How can you criticize the president for that when President Obama, you know, used a FISA court, you, you know, asked foreign governments like Australia to help spy on the president, the president uh, elect of the United States. And before that, I guess he was just a presidential candidate of the major opposing political party. And he got away with it. And, you know, now we've, they, we've even admitted that the way in which they obtained those warrants for the FISA courts was a sham. That they, they did not have, you know, verified active information, that it was kind of rushed through. And that wasn't the only time we saw that happen in the Obama administration. The amount of times we saw intimidation used by the federal government under the Obama years to go after conservatives, whether it was the IRS going after conservative taxpayers or the Trump administration example. I mean, nobody seemed to, to be concerned that the president could have been using what, what might have been political power uh, you know, or be using their power for political purposes. When we saw, you know, with Hillary Clinton, that you know she had her dealings, of course, with Ukraine, uh, and and as well as you know, she of course she was selling uranium. Her Clinton, not her directly, but I guess you know there were some massive d- donations being made to the Clinton Foundation by some Russian oligarchs. Meanwhile, you know, the the State Department is selling you uranium to the exact same people. There's a lot of questionable stuff that has happened. The swamp is rich. Is, is, is all I'm trying to say. And, uh, you know, Victor Davis Hanson does a great job of outlining how bad this swamp really is. We're going to be talking to him later this week, so stay tuned. Make sure you're following us on Spotify and Facebook, and you'll be able to hear that full interview. But, you know, this is a, this is a serious problem. And I'm not so sure if what happened with, with Joe Biden and his son is any different. Um, and we're going to go through that today, and we're going to walk you through... Uh, what happened exactly, what, what Hunter Biden's story is, because that's something we didn't get to talk about 
on Tuesday. First, you got to hear the guy that the Biden administration does not want you to hear from. Okay, and what do I mean by that? So Rudy Giuliani, um, <laughs> I want to be perfectly open to you and perfectly objective about the, what, what other people are saying about him at this point on the left. Um, and, you know, he is the Trump, he's President Trump's personal lawyer. He's not employed by the White House. He is the president's personal lawyer. Um, and he's being accused by the Biden administration and by Democrats of spreading falsehoods to defend the president. And meanwhile, though, on the other side, uh, in his view, he is defending the president. He was in some ways involved in whatever happened here in the sense that he he was talking with the Ukrainians on behalf of the president. Um, that's not clear that that itself was wrong. He recently got subpoenaed by the by the House committee committees that are going to be beginning these impeachment proceedings this week. So a lot of any documents he has regarding Ukraine are going to have to be sent over to them. But I think he has a, a lot of fair points that I think each side, you know, we got to we got to listen to what they have to say. The president def- had deserves the right to have his lawyer defend him. And, you know, meanwhile, Vice President Biden, former Vice President Biden in his campaign, there was a story out on Sunday that said that basically they have literally written letters to all the major networks and asked them no longer to allow Rudy Giuliani to appear on their show. That, that is their response to this. See, th- this is the type of thing that I just don't get for Democrats. It's like, you know, they don't like an opinion and uh, maybe they believe it to be false. I mean, they certainly obviously, that would be the accusation they're making here. That is he's spreading falsehoods. So your solution is to simply just not air it on TV. I mean, Imagine if President Trump could do that. Imagine if President Trump could just write all of the media networks and just say, hey, you know, can you just not have any of my critics on today? You know, we had a really rough week on the campaign. It would be really helpful if you guys just took it easy a bit. I mean, there is such a double standard here. And then this is the thing that before we listen to this video that you have to keep in mind. I mean, going back to the Obama administration, um, one of the things that's in Victor Davis' hands book Victor, excuse me, Davis Hanson's book, The Case for Trump, is the fact that is a conversation that the, one of the deputy press secretaries is having um, with a reporter where he basically says afterwards, after the administration, yeah, it was pretty great because we basically learned how to manipulate some of these very young reporters that would come to the White House and we could basically get them to tell any story we wanted and to have them tell it anyway. So my question is, if that's the case, and if that's the mentality that was at the, the Obama White House, then who's to say that, you know, Joe Biden wasn't able to get away with whatever wrongdoings went on with his son and um, the Ukrainian government? So let's, let's, let's allow Rudy Giuliani to give his chance to, to say what he has to say. What, 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 what Hunter Biden's lawyer said Did I ever ask the Chinese government? No, it's not my... If I did that, you could truly say I was investigating Joe Biden. I'm not investigating Joe Biden. I fell upon Joe Biden in investigating how the Ukrainians were conspiring with the Hillary Clinton campaign to turn over dirty information, including something for which a Ukrainian has already been convicted. So I have a very solid basis for doing it. I also support everything I say with affidavits. I have an affidavit here that's been online for six months that nobody bothered to read from the gentleman who was fired, Mr. Shokin, the so-called corrupt prosecutor. The Biden people say 
that he wasn't investigating Hunter Biden at the time. He says under oath that he was. But, but as you know, I know he says that under oath. Oh, he must not be, we don't even know him. He must but not we, be telling we, the truth. We know that Vice President Biden was part of an international effort, was oh. part of a government-wide effort to help push the, the prosecutor the out name, because the name the here was Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. And it said that the president of the Ukraine asked me to resign due to pressure from the U.S. presidential administration. The truth is that I was forced out because I was leading a wide-ranging corruption probe into Burisma Holdings and Joe Biden's son. That's under oath by the prosecutor who was handling the case, who they say is corrupt. Now, a lot of prosecutors... It's not just they who said it's corrupt. The European Union said he's corrupt. The entire U.S. administration Oh, they said all said corrupt. it. Anybody prove it? That's yeah. why he was removed from office. No, it wasn't. The reason he was removed from office was he resigned because the president forced him to resign. And then, just in case we want to deal with the corruption thing, I have another affidavit. This time from another Ukrainian prosecutor who says that the day after Biden strong-armed the president to remove Shokin, they show up in the prosecutor's office, lawyers for Hunter Biden show up in the prosecutor's office, and they give an apology for dissemination of false information. I, I know. I, you know what the apology is for? For having having gotten out the story that this guy was corrupt. Now, if you met this guy, he's not very good at corruption because he's very poor. Well, Unlike they, the prosecutor who tanked the case on Biden, who's driving around in a Bentley. Okay, you, you, you've you gotten those charges out there. Let's talk no, about No, no, I haven't record. gotten them out there. No, you have gotten All them. Right. No, I haven't. You, you, you. <laughs> so who, whose side is that? Is that ABC um, host, George Stephanopoulos? Uh, really on. It's kind of funny there. He's very quick to defend the, the Obama administration. Um, you know, if the Obama administration said it was corruption, it had to have been corruption. There couldn't have been any bad ideas going on there. But, you know, I think Rudy Giuliani uh, brings up some really important points with those affidavits. And there, there is certainly a story that's, that's not being told here. Um, and, and the truth is probably mixed up somewhere in that. So why am I so hesitant to, uh, you know, just take the, the media narrative that's being driven right now and accept that as truth? And then we'll return to what Rudy Giuliani just said. I just want to answer that real quick. So a couple of weeks ago, we had on Molly Hemingway. She's the author of Justice on Trial. She's, uh, she's done a great job in, in basically providing a definitive account of what actually happened. And the truth is that I think the Brett Kavanaugh scandal was, was very similar to the moment we are in now, where it was very hard for Americans to figure out what was true and what was false and really what happened because of that is Americans kind of just lined up based on what political side they were on. I think we've seen that happen in the polls right now with impeachment. Um, originally, you know, most of the country did not support impeachment. Now we're seeing most Democrats now support impeachment. Most Republicans do not support impeaching the president. Independence, key indicator. Um, still, it seems overwhelmingly support the president, but those numbers have decreased. Um, so... It seems as though, yes, for the most part, people have chosen their, their sides of this story, what they are going to believe based on their political leanings, not based on the truth. And that, I think, is the fault of our, our media today. And there were so many facts in the Brett Kavanaugh scandal that were out there and that should have been easy to read, um, should have been easy to understand, could have been easily reported by the media, and the media chose not to report them. That's what happened. And that's, that's why we didn't have a clear consensus about the, the Brett Kavanaugh fiasco. Also, the Democrats in the, who were on those committees were, were gravely dishonest. 
um, and deliberately kept information from the American public until it was politically convenient for them. So that's that's the record they have. That's the reputation they come into this scandal with. So that so forgive me if you're if you're wondering why I'm questioning and, and I'm less likely to believe what Nancy Pelosi has to say. Um, when I know for a fact that they have been trying to impeach the president, you know, since the very start. So Rudy Giuliani goes on the TV, right? He has these affidavits and he says basically that, you know, A, I have an affidavit from the, the person, the prosecutor who was claimed of being corrupt by the Obama administration. This is him saying I wasn't corrupt. In fact, I was forced out. This is his legal oath saying I was, uh, you know, I was forced out um, for some reason or another because the 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 Biden administration, there, there are accusations of corruption in the, Biden, the Obama excuse me, administration, um, requested that I leave. The, the Ukrainian government was not going to fire me. It was, it was all the Americans that made that happen. And of course, he was investigating the company that, that Hunter Biden was working for. Um, and they have another sworn affidavit from another prosecutor that confirms this. Um, so you know what? Why, why have we not heard more about this? Why have, they, why have we not given, given the time of day to at least investigate those claims? It's one thing to dismiss those claims. And, you know, if the, if the Biden administration, rather than asking Giuliani just to not be allowed to appear on TV, why don't they, they show why these claims are false, you know? But instead, they want to simply silence what the other side has to say. So right now... Um, we're going to start what, what uh, National Review has released. It's called a, a Hunter Biden comprehensive timeline. And we're going to, we're going to go through some of that. Um, and then we're going to probably finish this when we get back. And uh, we'll, we'll hear more on this. But basically, what you need to know about Hunter Biden is that um, Hunter Biden went to, was a, uh, a law school student. And um, he was actually in the military as well. He got kicked out of the military for not failing a for, excuse me, for failing a drug test. And, you know, the accusation right now um, is that he essentially uh, failed that drug test and, you know, went, go, went to be on the board of a company in Ukraine, the, the, the very company that, uh, that he was accused of. Um, that's when they think there was a wrongdoing happening with regards to the vice president and firing the prosecutor. And that he only made $50,000 a year, so he was no, no, in fact, corruption. That is not true. Um, the extent of Hunter Biden's dealings with the Chinese and with the Ukrainians and the Russians is much greater than the media has let you, um, let you know. So when we, when we get back, actually, what we'll be doing is when we get back from this, this break that we're going to take shortly, um, we will outline the full details and whereabouts of, of Joe Biden as... as uh, National Review has reported. I think they do a pretty honest job of, of gathering most of the sources, understanding the conversations he's had, the way in which he flew on Air Force Two with the vice president to China. The vice president had a meeting with Xi Jinping, and his son had meetings with some of the most powerful businessmen in that country. They flew in the same plane. How, how, how did Vice President Biden never discuss his business dealings? I just find that hard to, hard to believe. And uh, according to the reports that we will share with you on the next segment of American View, um, the Obama administration was aware of much of this. But according to, to people inside the administration, they were simply too afraid to question the vice president on the matter. So we'll hear more about that when we, when we get back. Um, there is another story I, I do want to cover uh, before we go into the break. And that... Um, 
is from the uh, Wall Street Journal, you know, on, you know, while all this is happening, you know, and we did this last week as well. Of course, President Trump went to the UN United Nations General Assembly. He made a big speech. It's not covered by the media. Other stuff not covered by the media. The fact that median household income today has gone up um, there since President Trump has taken office, a crazy 6.8%. How much did, did wages, that's the middle class wages, so that for those that say the, the Trump administration's economy only works for the upper class, that's just not the case. We compare that to the Obama years, it was 1.7%. Um, and the first four years of office, it actually decreased. Um, granted, he was coming out of a recession, but still, same thing with uh, President Bush, 0.7%. So under, under President Bush, we saw median incomes rise $400. Under the Obama years, they rose $1,000. And in the Trump years, just in less than four years of office, they've already risen $4,000. So I want to I wanna leave you with that as we go to commercial break, just to give you some piece of, piece of thought there. We're going to have more on this story when we come back. We might even take some calls. Thanks for listening to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, where Hillsdale meets the nation. I'm Ben Dietrich. We'll be back after this short break. Welcome back to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm Ben Dietrich. Good to be with you here on this Tuesday morning, October 1st. We're coming to you live from our studios in Hillsdale, Michigan, at Hillsdale College's campus. And um, we're going to continue telling you what you need to know about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, President Trump, that phone call. We started this coverage on Thursday of last week. Today, we are going to um, continue that discussion. We will hear our interview with Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel towards the end of this episode. Um, but first, we were going through a comprehensive timeline of, of Hunter Budden. And, you know, if you're just joining us now, why are we, why are we doing this? Um, I know the vice president, the former vice president, would prefer if we did not talk about the past actions of his son. But frankly, um, here's the thing. You know, President Trump has been scrutinized so much. So even if you don't like him, the truth is he had two years of an investigation investigating his life, his dealings with everybody, his family, every relationship, anybody that, that you know knew him or cut his hair or made him food, all investigated, multi-million dollar investigation because they were convinced that there was a way they could get that president. And they, they didn't. There was, there was no collusion in the end. But, but we have a new accusation, which honestly I don't really – I understand how it's how it's standing up, but um, it's continuing to being pushed. And so we want to talk to you a little bit about Hunter Biden, which I think is an interesting part of the story. One thing we've seen about this story um, is that even though it seems to be harming the president, it also seems to be harming uh, Joe Biden in the polls. And it seems that, you know, this is almost kind of a double edged sword for the Democrats because 
they are killing their their one front runner that that is probably the only moderate chance they have at winning this presidency. A lot of people are concerned that Elizabeth Warren doesn't have what it takes to win in electoral victory in this country um, with some of the radical policies she has. So, Hunter Biden. He was kicked out of the Army for drug use. um, And after he graduated from law school, uh, some interesting stuff happened. So, uh, in 2006, the late summer of 2006, Hunter Biden and his uncle, James Biden, purchased a hedge fund Paradigm Globe Advisors. And according to Politico um, in August, um, James Biden, this is from a Politico story in August, James Biden told the employees on the first day, quote, don't worry about investors. We've got all the people around the world who want to invest in Joe Biden. Now, at this time, as a reminder, Joe Biden is just months away from becoming a chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee um, in the United States Senate. And he's in the process of launching his bid for the presidency. So this is from National Review, by the way, all this, all this information here. Um, and uh, the unnamed executive there that was uh, charged with the purchase of that fund um, was designed to work around campaign finance laws. So that was one of the tasks of this, this organization. Um, and... Uh, According to this executive that worked for James Biden or worked with James Biden, James Biden made it clear, according to this article, that he viewed the fund as a way to take money away from rich foreigners who could not legally give money to his older brother's campaign account. We've got investors lined up in a line of 747s filled with cash ready to invest in the company. The executive member, member excuse me, remembers James Biden saying. Now, of course, this is an unnamed source, just like the whistleblower um, and the sources that the whistleblower counted on. So we should take all of that with a, with a grain of salt as we do. We don't know the motivations behind these people. But this is a story for Politico, a left-leaning group before this, this whole major thing about Hunter Biden broke. They had already reported on this. So um, up until this time, Hunter Biden had been employed as a consultant to a Delaware bank. He was making $100,000 a year. The bank hired him right out of law school um, after he had already been you know dishonorably discharged from the Army. And... Uh, in less than two years, he became a senior vice president. Why? Um, it's kind of interesting. He ended up representing major pharmaceutical companies. Um, Acogen Inc., Pomatrix. Uh, and uh, Hunter, of course, claims that he's never lobbied for his father on, uh, on any matter. But there are, there are some instances that um, are more complicated for that. For instance, did you know that apparently Hunter Biden was billed? by the Obama campaign for over $100,000 in 2008 for what they detailed as legal work. Um, we saw that by the end, the Obama campaign... Uh, oh, excuse me. Um, this is the Biden campaign. The Biden presidential campaign paid his son $143,000 for legal services, um, which is interesting. So Paradigm, this company that he had been working for, kind of falls apart, okay? Um, it does a lot of stuff. Um, he is basically working there at that company. He is the chief executive there. Um, he steps down in 2007 as the chief executive, but he um, remains the chairman of the board. And uh, now Joe Biden, when he becomes the running mate for Barack Obama, 
of course, the connection there. It concerns the Obama administration, but apparently um, they don't do a whole lot about it. So by August 27, 2008, the, the, the Washington Post reports on an unusual loophole in Hunter Biden's refusal to lobby his father. So even though he refuses to lobby his father, turns out that Senate Barack, Senator Barack Obama, and this is what I was getting at before, I'm sorry, I got some of the facts mixed up there, um, that Senator Barack Obama did in fact pay Hunter Biden, but this time it was for $3.4 million uh, in congressional earmarks for clients that um, the son, this Hunter Biden, represented. So does anybody not think this is weird? I mean, we're talking about you know close to you know multiple millions of dollars here being paid out by a presidential candidate who's literally running against this guy's dad. What, what, what is that about? Uh, now, of course, in an interview in two, uh, later that month with Tom Brokaw, Joe Biden said there was nothing inappropriate about these, um, these, these payments. And uh, Joe Biden continued to say, you know, his son graduated from law school and that, or from Yale Law School, and so it should not be Unusual at all that his son was making $140,000 a year out of school as a lawyer, as a vice president for this, this company. So, uh, in September 12, 2008, Hunter Biden files paperwork to end the lobbying work that he was doing. Um, but then some other weird stuff happens once Joe Biden is, is sworn in as president of the, U, the United States, or excuse me, vice president of the United States. So... Paradigm, the company he previously had been doing stuff with, um, gets charged with several cases of, of, of fraud, basically. One of the big ones being Texas Financier basically charges them with an $8 billion fraud case. So Hunter Biden was involved with that to some extent. Um, and, and by June 2009, Hunter Biden had started a second company, which was uh, another company that was involved in, in very interestingly enough, um, funding money kind of through lobbying efforts. So Paradigm is dealing with this point with all sorts of issues with the Department of Justice. Uh, you know, they, they are in a bunch of problem there. They have been, uh, the office that they're actually in, in, in Manhattan, um, by 2017, the federal prosecutors were arguing that the building was a front for the Iranian government and a gateway for millions of dollars to be funneled into Iran in clear violation of U.S. sanctioned laws. So that was the same uh, skyscraper housing the offices of Paradigm were, were in. Just a coincidence there, I guess. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's not just Iran we're talking about here, and that's, that's more of a coincidence than any of these other things that you see here. But, uh, so, you know, in 2010, of course, the recession happens. They start, you know, liquidating Paradigm. And... We see, though, in the second, second term, that's when things get really interesting. Hunter Biden joins his father on an Air Force Two trip to China, where his father is meeting with President Xi Jinping. Hunter arranges for Lee to shake hands with his father, who is a, a major business owner in, uh, in China. And it's in the, father, in the lobby of, a, of the hotel where they're staying. Afterwards, Hunter and Lee have what both parties describe as a social meeting. Um, now, how does this look when a Hunter Biden rides on a government funded plane to have a business meeting with a massive business conglomerate in China and his, his father is, you know, representing the United States and meeting with the president of China. 
Now, there is, there is more to this story. Um, so Hunter Biden, for about a couple of years before that, was having meetings with uh, Devin Archer in China at what some have reported to be at the, the highest political levels. So Peter Schweitzer's Secret Empire's book, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption, um, details this. And he writes in his book um, that basically uh, there is an account um, of these meetings. And, and essentially, these Hunter Biden met with the, the largest and most powerful government fund leaders in China, even though Rosemont, the company they were representing, was no, both new and small. And to put these meetings in perspective, it was as if the son of a Chinese premier held a single meeting with the heads of Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, Miller Lynch, and Blackstone, um, some of the biggest companies in the United States. Except, in this case, these were government entities with trillions of dollars of capital to invest. The delegates spent two days meeting with the top executives of China um, to discuss, and their, their banks and their social security funds. Uh, and, of course, Hunter Biden posed with them for a series of pictures. So that happened, and we see the relationship he had with, with China, and then later, of course, this stuff happened out with uh, he gets hired to, to, to join, a, um, to work in Ukraine, and he joins that company there. Uh, when the White House is asked to respond to the questions of, you know, the, the weird relationship between what the vice president is doing, what his son is doing, they just defer to the vice president's office himself, don't really even offer a, a defense. Um, and then he gets appointed in 2014 to a Ukrainian oil board, board which uh, the Washington Post, Adam Taylor, the columnist there, said at the time, the appointment of the vice president's son to Ukrainian oil board looks nepotistic at best, nefarious at worst. No matter how qualified Biden is, it ties into the idea that a U.S. foreign policy is self-interested. And that's the narrative Vladimir Putin has pushed during the Ukraine's crisis with reference to Iraq and Libya. So, and then, of course, you know, Biden embarks on his anti-corruption escapades. That's where kind of the Rudy Giuliani clip that we heard in the first half comes onto the show. And uh, we see there that they, they fire the prosecutor that is investigating the company that uh, Hunter Biden is working for, getting paid $50,000 a month, not a year, a month to work for um, and to represent. This is all, you know kind of interesting because I think what we see here is a series of patterns of jobs that he wasn't really qualified for but received where he was meeting with some of the most uh, prominent business leaders of China where he was you know at the top of a you know an oil conglomerate in Ukraine it seems obvious that at the very least he received some of these positions um, with the assistance of the fact that his father was vice president of the United States and was a well-known senator prior to that. He even says this according to that political article we started out with. Um, you know, he says, I'm going to use the power of my father to help benefit this business. There's no question there. Whether or not his father could known that, I don't know. Um, I, you know, have respect for the fact that, you know, Biden, I understand, you know, they have had a lot of tough, rough family troubles. Maybe communication there is not so great, but... I mean, the vice president certainly seemed to have enabled this by allowing him to fly on his plane on Air Force Two. And I think the point I'm getting at here is that we should at least be able to ask the questions of what happened here. Um, you know, why, why do we not have a better explanation of why this guy was fired? You know, because isn't that the same thing? If, if Trump's accusation is, is true, that there, and he hasn't even made an accusation, he just asked for there to be more of an investigation. 
then isn't the accusation that the vice president is guilty of the same charge that Democrats are saying Trump is guilty of? I don't see how there is a difference there, um, except for the fact that one is President Donald Trump and the other one is Joe Biden, who apparently nobody has a problem with. You know, we don't see any hearings happening about that. We don't see any hearings happening um, about a lot of, you know, interesting practices that were done by Hillary Clinton, that were done by, you know, all sorts of Obama officials, except for, of course, by the DOJ now. So please keep all of that, all of that in mind as you listen to the news this week. Um, you've been listening to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale. Ben Dietrich here. We're going to go to Ronna McDaniel now. We talked to her on Friday last week. Her reaction to the impeachment talks. We want to. We, we uh, got an exclusive interview with her, so we are going to play some of that before we go here. Um, once again, this has been American View. Now we go to Ronna McDaniel on our, our special interview with her. Good morning. You're listening to a special edition of American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. It's Friday morning, September 27th, and on the phone right now is Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. Ronna, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Always great to be with uh, Hillsdale College. And we love having you. Um, The honor is always ours. So we do want to ask you about these impeachment proceedings that have uh, begun um, when Nancy, House, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi started them on Tuesday. Now, the first question I have for you is I'm sure you've reviewed the transcripts and all that, and I want to talk to you about how it affects the election. But first, do you think that there was any wrongdoing here? Or what is the RNC stance on the call? I do not. I think the wrongdoing is on the part of the Democrats who jumped to begin an impeachment inquiry before even reading the transcript or hearing the IG's report. Uh, And let me just take this out of a partisan lens. There is nothing more critical that a Speaker of the House can do than bring impeachment proceedings against the sitting president. And she, instead of pumping the brakes and saying, let's take our time and be thoughtful and deliberate, she hit the gas. And she's put our country in chaos. And now that we've seen the transcript and the whistleblower report, there's no there there. But she can't walk it back because she rushed to judgment before she had the facts. And now we're going to have to deal with this because the Democrats have never accepted the election of President Trump. And they took this opening as an opportunity to try and negate the voices and the vote votes of millions of Americans across this country who elected President Trump. So, Rana, there was an article released um, yesterday, I believe, uh, saying that the Trump campaign and RNC, uh, they've raised $13 million following um, House Speaker Pelosi's announcement. Um, so how does the impeachment process or impeachment proceedings impact the 2020 election? Well, it does show that our voters who support the president as they're watching these facts unfold also think they're ridiculous. And so they're, they're getting energized. They've seen the Democrats double down on obstruction and resistance. They've never worked with this president from day one. And so this is a huge motivator for our base. We're seeing it in dollars, but we're also seeing an activity across the country. They do not want to see uh, Democrats hijack the presidency through this impeachment procedure when there was no wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you have been doing some internal polling as well in the RNC. I mean, 
what, do you think that the American people will continue to, to show support for the president? I mean, uh, the polls going into this obviously seemed very much in favor of the president in terms of Americans that actually supported impeachment proceedings. But uh, there hasn't been as much out yet, of course, since uh, Nancy Pelosi announced to um, her fellow House members that they would begin the proceedings. Well, we've, we've seen the Rasmussen poll where since the allegations came forward with um, with uh, Pres- Prime Minister Zelensky that uh, the president's approval rating went up. Uh, we've seen polls that have shown that a vast majority of Americans are not interested in impeachment proceedings. So those are the numbers we're seeing, and then you see the high fundraising from the RNC. Uh, I think it's a couple things. One, the Democrats, uh, from day one have, have, have avoided, have refused to acknowledge this presidency. They, uh, boycotted the inauguration. Then we had the Russian investigation for two years that showed no collusion, no obstruction. And now it's this. So we've never at any point in President Trump's term seen Democrats say, let's accept this president, let's accept the will of the people, mm-hmm. and let's work with him. It's always been, how do we roll back time and make sure we can undo this presidency? And so I think that rings false when they bring these impeachment proceedings because they've been trying to impeach him since day one. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, it certainly angered a lot of Americans. And, of, of course, kind of now the face of these impeachment proceedings for the Democrats is House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, which is kind of ironic because for the longest time, it seems she was trying to avoid um, th- this dam of impeachment proceedings from opening. And now now it is. She couldn't really seem to control her own party. Do you stand with others in the Republican Party, such as even the president, that have questioned whether or not uh, Nancy Pelosi should resign from her position? Well, I, I certainly think she's terrible at her position. I think she's done a, a lot of harm to our country. I think the Democrats right now are undermining a de- our democracy by sending it into chaos when they know that there is no, uh, nothing warranting these impeachment proceedings. But Nancy Pelosi is controlled by uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilan Omar. Uh, the squad controls her. They have taken control of the, of the Democrat Party. And they wanted impeachment. And she wants to keep her speakership. So this is all about politics. It's not about what's good for the country. Certainly in Michigan, we would like to see her pass USMCA that would help our farmers, that would bring manufacturing jobs. They're not going to do anything like that. In fact, they're going to come into the election in 2020, and all they will say that they have accomplished in four years of President Trump being president is we have fought him every step of the way, and we have never helped the American people on one policy issue that meant that was Ronna McDaniel RNC chair Republican National Committee chairwoman um, and she was with us on Friday we did a special interview you can listen to the full interview on SoundCloud or on Spotify as well just look for American View Radio Free Hillsdale to check that out so before we go here um, you know I think she she raises a good point and you got a question what started all this impeachment stuff, if, especially if Nancy Pelosi hadn't, in fact, read the full transcript of the call? Maybe it's simply because she came to the realization that based on who her presidential candidates were of her party, there was no other way in which they were going to beat Trump unless they, they changed something. Just an idea there, folks. Ben Dietrich here for American View on Radio Free Hills. So 101.7 FM. Love to hear your own ideas. Give me a tweet. Tweet out at me, Ben underscore D-I-E-T-D. We look forward to talking to you soon with more coverage and interviews from some of our nation's most prominent leaders. For now, I'm Ben Dietrich. 
You've been listening to American View. See you next time. Thanks so much.